0: It's springtime in New York City, and life is returning to normal. Well, whatever that is. This episode, I'm talking to Dia Vich, the associate curator from Creative Time, who's put together a really awesome-sounding think Tag project that asks various art world luminaries to come together and think about the problems that ail us. So let's get started. Introducing... Dia Vich.
1: Hi, Rod.
0: Hey, Diaz. So, okay, you're organizing a think tank in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> and if I'm not mistaken, you started this job in the middle of a pandemic.
1: I did.
0: So how long have you been at Creative Time? Now?
1: I have been there since September.
0: Wow. Okay. So this is not exactly an orthodox way to start a job.
1: No. <laughs> Absolutely not. I think I've been to our office two times since September. Um, but l- luckily, I've been able to get some FaceTime with my coworkers. But yeah, an unorthodox way to start to say the least.
0: So you hit the ground running, and now you're organizing this think tank that is taking on some really big questions. I mean, in addition to what are we building towards, some of the questions you outlined are what constitutes the field of cultural production, and what are the dominant practices of governance, value creation, and assessment? Mm -hmm. Another, do alternative modes of knowledge production currently exist in regards to art practice, cultural labor, education, and training for the field? What forms are needed? What new forums? And what ideological, cultural, and structural shifts are required to steward transformational change? So just, you know, small questions you <laughs> yeah, know, really think about sometimes. You know, we
1: can probably answer them right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we could
0: sol- solve the think tank right yeah, now. Check. Let's do it.
1: <laughs> yeah, so we offered those questions. So the way that we assembled this think tank was through an open call, as well as doing some direct outreach, getting referrals from people to really help us understand how to have an uh, expansive group of people in this think tank and to really have an uh, expanded perspectives in the room. And so we offer those questions as a container Mm -hmm. for the think tank to start in, really to, like, offer some parameters for their thinking. Mm -hmm. They are big and broad questions, absolutely, but we really were thinking fundamentally, like, doing an assessment of the field. So a lot of those questions you asked are, or that you repeated are really about what's already happening right. and how do we take stock of what's already happening, both the things that need to change as well as the alternative models that exist. And from that kind of assessment, what is it that we're moving towards? I think if you ask 10 people in the art world, they'll have 10 different answers. So what what is it that we're going towards? And really, while well, this is about Pointing out what's not working and untangling these systems of oppression within the art world and art ecosystem. It's also about building new futures, like building new possibilities and world building I'm out of this. I'm here for it.
0: I'm here for it. I love that. So before we get into that because uh, these are there's a lot to discuss here. I want to get a little bit of your own history because mm-hmm. I think your own trajectory is unique. Mm-hmm. I mean, like all our trajectories I guess are. I think you're born and raised in New York, correct? In
1: Connecticut actually. Connecticut.
0: Okay, in Connecticut. So tri-state New York same mm-hmm. thing.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, New Yorkers people, are so angry people, at that going to be angry at that, but I don't care
0: because New Yorkers (laughs) need to get over themselves sometimes. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your own trajectory, whether it's through schooling or your first uh, introduction to the art community, because, you know, it's a scary place sometimes. It
1: is a scary place. And I'm forever grateful that my introduction was at the Queens Museum in 2010. And so um, I also want to name the year because it's, it's, around the same time that the Creative Times Summit began. Mm -hmm. So that was also a place that I found a lot of knowledge and found community and really was like an important part of my trajectory, too, as an audience member. And
0: before you continue, I just, for those who may not know the Creative Times Summit, I'm just going to explain it's sort of, it was an annual gathering of people that are working around, I mean, social justice mostly, Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, they would come from around the world and sort of do these presentations. And it was an opportunity for people to meet these people who were in the headlines and in the news and doing these really interesting projects. And actually engage with their ideas in in this summer sort of format. And you know, some years were more successful than others, but I think the spirit was always there. So yeah, go ahead.
1: Absolutely. And so yeah, my introduction to the art world was through the Queen's Museum in 2010. Tom Finkelpearl was a director. We were a museum committed to understanding and it continues to be, to understanding how a museum can be responsive to local community how it can exist in this intersection of social justice and art and was really a leading institution I would say in socially engaged art and understanding the way artists work with communities
0: one of the most engaged actually I would I even argue yeah you know, yeah
1: and so I was there for 4 years and really feel like I got a thorough education in those fields particularly socially engaged art and public art mm-hmm. And also that was when the Queens Museum expanded. So it was really like a time of a lot of energy there. We hosted an open engagement conference on socially right. engaged art. Like we had Tanya Briguera's Immigrant Movement International that had just started in 2010 and continued my four years there. That was a think tank in its own right, um, slash community center, slash social proje- practice project.
0: Right, that, right in the middle of Corona Park.
1: Exactly, right yeah. in the middle of Corona, in the most immigrant-dense neighborhood in the city. Tanya started asking, can I build a political party for immigrants? The answer was no, because we're 501c3. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and that Already from, you yeah, hit the limits. Hit a wall. You know, there you are. <laughs> there it is, yeah, which I think is... Actually, really important to note, given where we were going with this think tank, too, right? Right, We hit a wall, and one of the first major art projects I got to work on, it started at that wall. (laughs) Right, right. It opened up into a lot of possibilities. That was also um, with Queens Museum and Creative Times, so a lot of moments of interacting with this job that I just started in. Um, Anyways, there was a lot of energy there. I feel like that was my introduction, so I feel kind of... um, I feel grateful all the time that that was my entry point into the art world because it was always about understanding how art and community lives together and having a blurry understanding of the limits of the field of art. So when we ask that question, what is the field? I'm also coming from that standpoint. Like, I don't believe that it's just around museums or art schools or siloed into one kind of industry. I'm always working around the assumption and the idea and the understanding that art is everywhere, that artists are everywhere, that they're in and out of different industries and movement spaces and part of coalition building. So I asked that. This question This is why I think you're that.
0: awesome. Dear. This is what you're saying. You know, it's like I think you had one of the most charmed entries. You know, under <laughs> Tom, Tom Finkelpearl's Queens Museum that was doing all. It's amazing. It just makes me so happy <laughs> to to hear about this. So go ahead. I'm so yeah.
1: grateful. And then from there, Tom Finkelpearl went on to become commissioner of the Department of Cultural Affairs. Yep. And he brought me with him,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which I'm again just happy for that experience. I think. I thought that I knew how New York City government worked. Mm-hmm. Turns out I had no idea. <laughs> like, truly, when I think back to before those years at cultural fairs, I'm like, did I know anything beyond voting? Like, right. did I know how, like, truly no idea. The intricacies, the bureaucracies, the ways in which so many sectors are tangled into each other. Right. and so so
0: what were some of the big surprises that people might be surprised about?
1: About cultural affairs? Yeah, or
0: just yeah, and or the way the city works.
1: Yeah. So I guess I got a particular kind of lens into it because shortly in my time there, I launched with the current chief of staff, Shirley Levy, we launched a public artist in residence program um again under Tom Finkelpearl, right. based on the work of Meryl Latterman Euclides, who has been in residence with Department of Sanitation for 40 plus years. But thinking again how artists and art can embed more deeply into civic life, we launched this program where we put artists in residence with city agencies to be political, to be collaborative from within these government systems to see if the way that we know that artists affect and impact community change can they do that with systems and political systems was the inquiry question for that.
0: So I'm just going to put it out there. It was inevitable you you created a think tank. I mean,
1: honestly. <laughs> I know, because I'm always dabbling in these government structures. <laughs> and, you
0: know, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's inevitable. I mean, really. Let's just be honest. Well,
1: hopefully this is no neoliberal think tank.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you took everything you learned from those to, like, prepare yourself for this a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. So I ended up working with, like, probably a dozen city agencies and we came in at this like commissioner level buy-in that was really important for the program so as the artists were learning the ins and outs of these different agencies so was I from a really high level perspective as well as like on the ground the work these artists were doing with communities most impacted by these agencies so from like immigrant affairs to department of probation to children's services to veteran services like really a broad range of social services Um, And carceral systems. And I could go on and on about each instance for hours. But all that to say, I got a really particular view into the way that government operates, into the way that they continue to operate in communities, as well as a little bit of a historic lens, all through the lens of how art and artists can embed within these structures To effect positive change or to somehow dismantle, disrupt, expose what exactly these operations are. And I think in a lot of cases, it's just about opacity, too, and Mm -hmm. and really making visible um, these things that have huge impacts on our lives. So I, yes, have been really thinking through structures that we live with including think tanks. Ooh, <laughs> so it makes I, love sense.
0: When, I love when you get political. <laughs>
1: yeah. This is
0: great. <laughs> Walking the lines. Walking the lines. I, I love know. this. So it's okay, to get
1: me in trouble. The, well you
0: know <laughs> art gets you in trouble. Yes. I think that's one of the things that I think people aren't always aware of. It's like you know culture and the way we sort of work in this kind of in-between spaces sometimes it's you know it creates trouble for a lot of yeah. people, and that's kind of what makes it worth it a little too, but that's my take. So, okay, two things. So, one, what were some of the things you actually learned in city government that you mm. think other people would be surprised about? I'm just going to bring up that question because I think um, one of the things I've always surprised about is how little money there is for culture. I mean, not that – I think New York funds better than almost a lot of places, but it still yeah. surprises me considering how many cultural venues we have. Yeah. But – What were some of yours?
1: Yeah. So New York actually is the biggest funder of art and culture, even um, outside the NEA, if you don't count the Smithsonian. So that is really important to note, I think. Yep. The biggest thing that I learned is that it is very difficult to spend money in government. It's really difficult. There are so many rules, laws, regulations in place that Mm -hmm. dictate how money can move to people. Um and so I really spent a lot of time navigating that as did I think as does everyone in government it's right. like there's a clear problem for example working with the DIY community we did a lot of advocacy work with the DIY community trying to understand how To, particularly after the ghost ship fires, trying to understand how to bring spaces up to code. Let me
0: just explain for people, ghost ship fire was a major fire at a warehouse slash venue, alternative venue space in Oakland, California, that burned down and a number of people died in. And it became such a huge rallying cry for the regulation around these types of DIY spaces. Go ahead.
1: Absolutely. And even again, thinking about the field, like our field is vast and it often starts with these alternative DIY spaces in which... Artists of all ages, of all backgrounds, find each other in a safe space that they create to make art um, and to make nightlife and to make community. And so, of course, it's an integral part to our ecosystem. And just trying to navigate the ways in which government can be supportive of those spaces was really difficult. I mean, it led to some great things like the creation of the... Office of Nightlife and the Nightmare it definitely led to greater visibility around the importance Which, of the Could can, can we
0: just like reflect <laughs> on what a great name that is I know Office of Nightlife <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah
2: <laughs> I,
0: please tell me their hours are like 10, 10 p.m. to like 6 a.m. or something.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know, I mean, know it's not. If only. I wish, I, I wish, <laughs> I wish. Okay, sorry, go ahead.
1: It's like, the, yeah, it's like that. That sounds like cool and sexy and right, right. exciting. And really, what it is, is untangling a whole lot of systems from small right. business services. To the for-profit art industry, to the non-profit one, which are two yep. separate city agencies and city government, to like all of these kinds of intricacies. It's like really what you, if bureaucracies, is really yep. what you end up having to learn mm-hmm. um, or what I ended up having to really learn. I think that's the biggest education I got is like there are all these things that feel logical, that feel like an easy A to B is not that. No.
0: Okay, so now fast forward, you end up in city government. What was the year you left city government?
1: I left in 2018.
0: 2018. So then uh, now last year you landed. Yes. That's creative time. Yes. So, okay, now let's talk about this, the think tank.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: What do people need to know? So these are, Pia, yeah. these are all different. You had a call for submissions mm-hmm. and proposals, and you got all these proposals. Yeah. First reaction, what were you seeing that you didn't expect?
1: Well, I, first of all, we got over 200 proposals. amazing, Which is so heartening, and they were excellent proposals, and I, don't, I know many of us, I mean, I know you, I know many people listening will probably have juried many things. Yep. To have a pool of applicants that is majority really great is kind of unheard of. Yep. I haven't seen it before. So for me, that was so exciting to understand how many people were asking these questions in the work that they do and how broad the work that people do, like the just the range of work that's happening. So that was amazing to see and then also we asked a question about abolition
2: mm-hmm.
1: we could try to keep the application as open as possible we really are trying to be cognizant of not modeling the behavior that we're we're trying to overcome so right. thinking through like equitable applications and we have a lot of room for improvement as does everyone we like it's an open call Absolutely. even equitable is that democratic like those are questions i have all the time but we tried to to really keep it open, so there wasn't that that many questions. But one of them was about abolition through the lens of art. So is it um, are on this spectrum of reform to abolition? Had well, where's your thinking? Um, and something I thought was really great was that it was always about carceral systems. I was expecting to read a lot of um, like a lot of answers around the ways that museums should, shouldn't should exist or the ways that they should be more diverse and really thinking about that range. Right. But so many of the answers were really clearly about the ways that museums and carceral spaces are tangled together, as well as like the origins, the colonial origins, and if we're really talking about untangling, unsettling, decolonizing, what is the role of the museum? So people really got that question and answered it with a lot of nuance. That's so great. So that was amazing to see. So too.
0: when we talk about abolition, I just want to educate people about that term because I think it was like during the last election, defund the police really triggered a lot of people yeah. not understanding what it actually meant. And they just thought, oh my God, crime is going up. And there's... So do you mind just sort of, explaining what abolition is for people who may not be as familiar with the term?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think there's some amazing um, there are some amazing thinkers and writers about this. Miriam Kaba, Angela Davis, Ruth Wilson-Gilmore. It's really about understanding that the way that we have set up society in terms of punishment, in terms of holding people captive Mm -hmm. um, is part of a larger white supremacist project and is antithetical to building free futures for black communities, brown communities, et cetera. So Mm -hmm. it is about ending jails, policing, and prisons as we know it today in favor of community-oriented safety solutions and transformative justice. And I like to think about it like Ruth Wilson Gilmore offers. Abolition isn't about an absence. It's about a presence. So it's actually about building the world we want to live in. And that is something I think all of the members of the think tank that we've recently assembled really ground in. It's about building alternatives and moving us towards the futures that we deserve.
0: Right. So having covered this topic for many, many, many years... I always find that it's people's fears are in the room when this topic comes up. Yeah. Do you know? And, you know, it's because because it is a system, right? And we've grown up with this system, whether we like it or not. Mm -hmm. Do you know? It's been part of our consciousness. It's part of our jobs. It's part of, you know, it's a system that's embedded in so many things. How do you deal with that? Because when people are bringing fear to the table, you know, I mean, you have funders, you have structures you're part of, you know, if the creative time is not an island in the middle of the world, (laughs) do you know? Um, But I'm just curious, how do you negotiate that with people? How do you start that conversation with people that are maybe on the same page, Mm -hmm. but everyone might have a little different idea of what that means? What have you found?
1: Yeah, I mean, as a, a curator and as someone that works with artists and ideas, I think I get a lot of um, opportunity to really talk through ideas. And so I do think that there's a difference between me being a museum director and having this conversation versus me right. being a organizer of a program or an associate curator and having this conversation. And this conversation that I have are with the artists that I work with in these spaces or around these ideas, around really about building alternatives and again just going back to the my origins in the art world like that's really where i started we were always working with artists that were building that were really interested in alternative economics we're interested right. in like all of the pieces that make abolition possible which is really presenting different systems for us to live in so for me it hasn't really been that I haven't had to navigate it, if I'm being really honest, in a in a way that is at odds with my own professional growth. And I think it's just because I'm not a director. Like, right. I'm not the one that's in between these spaces.
2: Totally. And it
1: really is my job. And I think a lot of, I'm, this is not the same for a lot of people that work in museums, that work in bigger institutions. But part of my job is having those conversations with artists and publics. That's what I do. So I think that's like where I see the opportunity, too, is to really be able to platform artists that are thinking through this in creative ways, community that is, too, and bringing them together.
0: I'm I'm hearing a little bit of Queens Museum here. I love this cuz you know, people may not realize but Queens Museum under Tom and then later later Laura Reykjavik, yeah. I mean, was one of the most progressive museums in this whole part of the world. I feel like in so many ways doing some of those ideas, but you've taking them to a whole different level, right? You're creating this think tank and stuff. I just I'm just cavelling a little. This is awesome. So I just <laughs> love love hearing this. Well, it's so, me,
1: but it's also my colleagues at Creative Time. I think like what this sure. opera, like what this moment is in its most hopeful sense because there's so much to be not hopeful about. There's so yep. much to feel dejected about. There's so much loss we were talking about that this morning. Just the amount of unnecessary loss and across the board from the pandemic to racial terror and police violence to everything.
2: Yep.
1: It's to housing justice. There's That's so right. much loss. There's so much to feel dejected about, but I still like it's still I'm grateful that this organization and my colleagues and uh, this amazing group of thinkers we've been able to assemble, as well as 200-plus applicants and so many peers in the field, have been able to ground in the possibility of doing things differently. Right. Um, and I think that's really where this think tank takes hold. Is like, well, now is the time to be going deep, Um, to be spending a lot of time together having these really hard conversations around what does this look like practically for our field. I think what's been, uh, like what's exciting for me to think about too is that creative time, like the Queens Museum, began in 1973. And that was a moment in New York where, you know, we were institution building. Like people were building things. They were building the Studio Museum, the Queens Museum, El Museo, the Bronx Museum, artist space, the kitchen, creative time, like
0: Essentially all our alt spaces.
1: Exactly. You know,
0: we're being built in the seventies or around that era. Or at least the ones we consider touchstones now.
1: Exactly. Art Workers Coalition was the kitchen formed. too, I
0: think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah. MoMA had just unionized. Like there was all this energy then. Right that in a lot of ways the first
0: free days at museums exactly. you know around that era these are the sort of things i mean people take them for granted right but the people actually have to build towards those goals
1: exactly yep. exactly the black it was black panthers black power movement young lords like That's all right. of these things were happening together and i think that was an amazing energy and now here we are nearly 50 years later there is an amazing shift in consciousness that people are talking about abolition, that they're taking down Confederate monuments and white supremacist monuments, that there's like this energy to undo and build differently.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think in my big, like wildest dreams, this think tank helps us realize, helps assist in the conversation of what those new things we're building are mm-hmm. and t- really learning lessons from the past. You know, it's good that these institutions don't feel like the radical forefront anymore. Fifty Ugh, years later, I'm so That's excited. That's a good thing. Yeah,
0: absolutely. That's their job. You yeah. know, it's like you—you sort of like you're the tip of the spear, and then you sort of become part of the establishment, and then a new spear appear, You know, exactly. It's like, this is how change happens. I'm all—I'm all for it because I would question an institution that was so quote-unquote radical for 50 years. Yeah, It'd probably be terrible to work. in, I'm going to be <laughs>
1: honest.
0: <laughs> you know, it could be great, but I'm just going to guess that that would probably be exhausting for a lot of people
1: involved. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's me saying,
0: not you. Uh, it's all good. Um, okay. I'm excited about this now. So like, tell us what we need to know about this thing.
1: Yeah. Yes. There are nine amazing thinkers, artists, activists, um, organizers involved in this think tank that really do have this broad range of perspective, but also have a really clear politics, which I'm excited about. Why don't you name them? So the, I'll name them in alphabetical order And if you and, you and if you
0: could tell us just one little thing about them since yeah. people some of these names might be unfamiliar.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Latanya S. Autry is a curator in Cleveland who started this campaign Museums Are Not Neutral, which Love that campaign. Love really helped us get language around the ways in which museums are implicated in the very issues that they try to platform or ignore. Mm-hmm. Um, so that has been really helpful I think for a lot of people. Um, Caitlin Cherry is an incredible painter who really thinks about technology and surfaces and glitching those, as well as recently started an alternative art school called Dark Study, um, which is in something to watch.
0: Yeah, I didn't know about that.
1: Yeah. Che Gossett, an incredible writer and scholar who really thinks, he's an abolitionist who recently organized a program, co-organized a program called Abolition is on the Horizon with a lot of thinkers and um, writers so Che Gossett is an incredible writer, thinker, scholar who works around um, abolition as well as the origins of museums mm-hmm. to kind of untangle, expose those things, as well as the Black radical tradition. They're really embedded in that. Kevin Gatkin, again, a professor, writer, and disability justice organizer who started with Simi Linton, an organization called Disability Artistry NYC Task Force, or DANT, which did a lot of lobbying in New York City to get a lot of money geared towards disability-oriented organizations, as well as did a boot camp for folks working in the arts around access and kind of radical inclusion.
0: And can I just say, I am so happy with the fact that disability organizers and people working around disability issues are becoming so much more visible right
1: now. Yes.
0: This is something I don't know if I would have predicted 10 years ago. It's Do you know? so important. Do you know, because the, at least in the mainstream, it was so ignored mm-hmm. for so long for the fact that it's coming up now. is just, it gives me so much, so much hope. Yeah. So, Absolutely.
1: And when, when I think about unsettling systems, how can disability not be at the table? Like the way that disability activists, disabled activists have transformed my thinking of how society is built and needs to be built. That's built in the segregating way and the ways in which we can be radically inclusive. It's blown my mind.
0: Well, I mean, I think to just tie some of these together, Jasper Puar, um, who's a professor uh, in in New Jersey, who has been writing a lot about the carceral state and the use of disability. The fact that the carceral state can very much is actually interested in this kind of. Uh, disability rather than ma- killing and all these types of things. So it's all part of the same. So I just want sort of people to be aware yes. of uh, research of like people like Jasper Puar. Yeah, so go
1: absolutely. Ahead. And then Sonia Ginyansaka, who is a poet and cultural organizer who has done a lot of organizing work around migrant artists and the border, Emily Johnson, a choreographer, Indigenous rights organizer who works around land back issues um, and has a practice that is really geared towards, in addition to choreography, geared around asking institutions to think about indigeneity practically. So land acknowledgements, really understanding decolonizing as an action. Prerna Reddy is someone that I've known for a long time. I'm grateful to have on this think tank Was the director of community engagement at the Queens Museum for a long time. And did
0: important, important work.
1: Important work. I learned a lot from went on to be at A Blade of Grass. And I really think if you've been working in social practice or socially engaged art this past decade or so, you know Prerna.
0: Yeah, Prerna is like the real deal.
1: Yeah. Namatha Gupta-Wiggers, an educator, curator, director of critical craft theory. Started a low-res program in Appalachia. And Henty Yap, who is a professor at disability, who works around disability, dance, and also has a law degree and works around art policy as well. And Henty recently co-edited a book called Saturation Mm. that really is an amazing anthology with C. Riley Norton, co-edited it. And um, it's an amazing anthology that asks us to go beyond representation in the arts and really think through a Marxist perspective. Amazing. Yeah. I love it. So That's so great. I feel I'm feeling humbled to get to spend 10 months with these people and really excited for what will come out of it. And I think like this initiative is kind of born out of the spirit of the Creative Time Summit in that we're really trying to bring together a group of interdisciplinary thinkers mm-hmm. um, across a range of lefty politics. I kind of remember being at a Creative Time Summit recently where nato thompson said the summit is for people like Okui and Weiser and like chato de to be like someone that works within the system someone that would the group that would never work within the system right. holds radical politics that wouldn't allow them to so to really have that range of perspectives to debate discuss and build together is exciting so that's like the spirit of this think tank as well and yeah i'm humbled to get to spend this time with them
0: that's great. This is this is all really exciting. So now, what is your hope? You know, like, what is your hope for this project? Now, I know, I know that you can't predict because, I mean, these are incredible thinkers, ind- independent people. They're going to do their own thing, right? You know, it's like they're all going to bring their own little piece and you can never predict when you sort of give birth to a project like this, how it ends up. But yeah. what are some of your hopes?
1: My hope, um, yeah, as you said, I can't predict. And so much of this program is creative time really taking a big step back and offering our resources as well as our staff support to support their thinking. So I can't predict what they're going to do. They have 10 months together. They're going to meet regularly. They're going to organize public programs. Mm -hmm. Um, They have a budget to do so. My hope is that this group offers a new goalpost for what we're moving towards and my hope is that it's partly implementable, it's partly actionable, but it's partly so beautifully wild, we can't get there. Um, I think that's something that comes from my own experience, you may, You may too. be
0: surprised. You I hope know.
1: that we can get there. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, just this, I feel like we've been working, at least in my own background, from cultural affairs, et cetera, like have been working around what's possible, what's Mm -hmm. practical, what can happen tomorrow. And that's so important. But I'm also really interested in that big, big, radical, ridiculous concept that feels that way now that won't in 50 years, you know? So that's kind of what I'm hoping is that it really offers a range of things we can do tomorrow and things we have to like keep in our head to work towards.
0: Got it. Okay, so now curveballs. Mm-hmm. What are the curveballs you foresee? Like, you know, or are preparing for because you know, the thing about these sort of like large sprawling projects is there are a lot of moving parts. Yeah. So, what are some of the things you foresee, like you're kind of excited about? I mean, that you've already started hearing from the the, the people involved or, you know, anything that you you just love to see in the world and maybe you haven't addressed yet, but you feel like could be addressed? in in this project?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that, so I, as somebody that has worked on a number of socially engaged art projects, not that this is one of them, but I do understand that any kind of collaborative situation is going to end up looking and feeling nothing like I think it is. Mm -hmm. And that really what we have to be is like patient and here for the ride. So that's really where I'm centering. But I think the curveballs are going to come in to the specifics. I've been talking super broadly, right? But like, how are we gonna think about labor in the art world? How are we gonna think about art labor? What is what is governance in a world that's built on for your futures? Like what is the alternative to a five oh one C three? I'm I think like in the curveballs are really gonna come into the nitty gritty and also into the people that the think tank brings in to the group. So I'm hoping that there are curveballs also. I'm hoping that they bring in people that shake up their own thinking and allow for a bigger conversation.
0: That's awesome. So now, what are some of the other things you want to share? What do people need to know about this project, yeah
1: About this project? Well, I hope that everyone stays tuned. I mean, I think a lot of people are working in this space right now, which is mm-hmm. exciting. And that I'm happy that this is one of many things that are happening. It's going to take all of us thinking through these issues all the time to get anywhere.
0: Every single person. I'm with you.
1: Exactly. I hope that people follow along, that they... F- participate when the public programs happen but that also they're like thinking through these questions on their own and I know like so Laura Reykjavik is writing a book about it so many people are really thinking about these mm-hmm. things um, so I hope that there's opportunity for all of us to come together
0: that's awesome so now what do people need to know about you you okay. know because I I've <laughs> been I've been sort of watching your trajectory for years I, you know I've always uh, admired your work you know but You know, I think sometimes curators, or at least the curators I care about, often deflect attention away from themselves, (laughs) like you do. And, uh, you know, but I kind of want people to get to know you a little bit. So what should people know about you, Dia?
1: Oh, wow. Spotlight.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I just, I'm tired of the, like the quote unquote superstar curators taking up so much oxygen and and having usually the least amount to say to anybody. And it's like curators like yourself that are actually doing the sort of hard work often get sort of lost in the, in the sort of chatter. And not that I think you ever want that spotlight or anything, but at the same time, I do think it's important to sort of understand, you know, your ideas and, and where you're coming from and what, and how you see it as a part of a bigger project for yourself and the work you're believing.
1: Yeah. I um, I do love to deflect, so thank you for this <laughs> question. <laughs> um, I, I really do think I'm part of a, I, I think the thing that I struggle with being a public art curator, the thing that I love about it, I'll start with, uh, all, all my mentors have told me, that I am just as accountable to the art and artists as I am to publics, And that Mm -hmm. is exactly the space I want to be in. I think the thing that makes me apprehensive about holding that title is that I am someone that doesn't like to work alone. I prefer Mm -hmm. a team. I prefer to be in collaboration with others and in dialogue with others. So I am excited about a kind of new era of public art that I hope we're moving into that is equally embedded in the systemic questions as the museum world has had to be recently, that mm-hmm. we're thinking about our relationship to urban planning, that we're thinking about our relationship to other cities, to real estate and government, that we're we're doing that messy work also
2: mm-hmm.
1: with artists, alongside artists as advocates and support for artists. So that's who I am as a curator. <laughs> and as a person, I, you know... I'm getting through this pandemic with everyone else. That's right. We're
0: all we're all getting through slowly. I mean, this has been... Have you been going to
1: museums or galleries at all? I've been going a little bit. I have not gone that much because of, you know, COVID is real. And yeah, is. there's some people in my life that I'm protective over. So I've been really keeping my distance.
0: It's been weird for that, isn't that? It's yeah. been really odd. To yeah. sort of like, because because you know you you realize also who in your life is vulnerable. Yeah, you know during the last year, which is you know not something that we always check in with. So it's sort of it's it's really interesting to think about that. So what I'm seeing is you're also expanding the notion of what public art can be. Am I right to assume that?
1: I hope so, and I know it's not me alone. I know there's sure. a whole group of people thinking this way too, and have been. There's a the deflect, time. <laughs> right? But you're right,
0: absolutely. It's but part yeah, of a movement. I don't think like, I'm not. I'm not pinning this all on you. Yeah. I'm just sort of saying I just want to talk to you because yeah. you're here, obviously, and it's clearly part of a huge movement that we're all part of in different ways. Absolutely,
1: definitely, and also just this this idea of the like radical idea of public art in the '70s of bringing art into everyday life that has to keep evolving and changing for Mm -hmm. it to keep us reoriented to our public spaces or keep reorienting us to what art can be and what publics are. And so, yeah, I'm definitely excited about asking those questions with my colleagues at Creative Time and across the field.
0: So now I want to ask you a question. We didn't talk about this one, so I'm going to just spring it on you. But (laughs) since you're a public art curator, have there been any recent public art projects or public art projects in the last couple of decades, even that you think about a lot, that you think are is re- are really addressing some of the issues that are interesting to you, um, and that in society in general, has there been? I mean, you already mentioned the residency at the mm-hmm. Department of Sanitation, mm-hmm. which I think was you know in many ways very radical. Yeah. And we're still trying to figure out what that means. And you helped create other positions um, in, in city government for artists. Is there, are there any other ideas?
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think about like Caroline Woolard's work a lot and trade school and the kind of alternative economies that she offered as for years and continues to as, as um, ways to think about public art. I think recently through this pandemic, I've been so in, interested in the way artists have turned to mutual aid as mm-hmm. part of their practice. From Guadalupe Maravilla to Lauren Halsey, just, like, really excited about the ways that artists have been embedding in care practices yep. as public art. And there's so many more to name. I'm, like, so... Those uh, are great. Yeah, I
0: mean, those are absolutely <laughs> great. So now, how do people stay abreast of what's going on with this project? How? What is yeah. the best way for them to stay engaged?
1: Yeah, so definitely creativetime.org. Mm-hmm. Follow us on social media. Sign up for our newsletter. I think. Um,
0: Do you also want to mention your social handles for people who want to connect with you?
1: Sure. I am at underscore Dia Vig on Instagram. I'm a voyeur on Twitter, so you can follow, <laughs> but you won't hear anything. <laughs> 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 and, and yeah, so definitely stay, stay in touch with this project. I think it's going to be really exciting. And we're together with them for 10 months, so there's a long time to be engaged with us and with that work.
0: Great. Any last words? Any last thoughts you want to share about this? Because this is a sprawling, huge project that has a lot of, you know, has a lot of potential to make some real serious impact. So any thoughts you just want to impart on people?
1: I guess I really do want people to be thinking together around what is alternative right now. I think that's a really big question. And I think that we can get beyond a lot of these addendums and edits and reforms to our current systems Mm -hmm. and think together about what else is being built and people are, I guess that's really what I want to say is that it's happening. There are so many networks of care that are set up through artists and community that are really presenting alternative possibilities. So I would also encourage people to get to know what's happening in their communities And get involved in those projects and communities.
0: Wonderful. And kudos for Creative Time for bringing you on to make this happen. That's really exciting, uh, in my opinion. And I know there's a team behind it. There's always a team. It's never just one person, no matter what people like to think. But, you know, I think it's just really just wonderful to hear, you know, this ambition you know, at a time when I think a lot of us are still grappling with what the pandemic means and what's going to come after. I mean, we were talking about issues. I think the city is going to deal with a lot of budget shortfalls yeah. as a result of this pandemic, considering that they don't want to raise taxes on billionaires. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're going to have to deal with those realities in the arts community as an example. So I think it's really wonderful to to see this kind of big thinking. Yeah. So... Congratulations. I'm excited to follow and see what happens over the next 10 months. And uh, kudos to you. And hopefully we'll maybe have you back to talk a little bit about the progress you've been made.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me.
0: Great pleasure. The music this episode is Lorenzo Senni's Move in Silence. Only speak when it's time to say checkmate. It comes to us from Warp Records, and you can check it out wherever you stream music. My name is Hadagvar Tanyan. I'm the editor-in-chief and co-founder of Hyperallergic. Thanks for listening, and stay safe. And also get vaccinated.